good Palm Sunday to you all. I'm glad you're here. I'd like to echo what Brad said. If you're new to this, I've met a few of you and I see a bunch of new faces. Welcome. We're really glad you're here this morning. I uh, do recognize it takes a lot of courage to come to a church, uh, come into a place where you don't know anybody. Um, but we really consider ourselves family here. And we'd love for you to just make yourself at home, be part of our family. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray and I'll launch into the teaching for this morning. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could gather together this morning. Lord, it is a, in some ways it is a holiday. It's a day where we celebrate something you've done. Um, God, I am thankful for what you've done. And God, I'm thankful for each and every person who is here this morning, woke up and Decided to come be in your presence, God. I pray that each person, each one of us, me included, would hear something from you this morning. God, I trust that we're all here for a reason and for a purpose, and I don't even know what that purpose is for each person, but God, you have a plan. I look forward to you executing that plan today. We're thankful to be in your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as Brad mentioned, today is a milestone for the Firehouse Church. Amen? Amen. Yes, so for those of you who are new, we normally have had about 50 more people as part of our church on Sunday mornings, but those 50 people are meeting in Franktown, which for those of you who don't know where Franktown is, it's about 10 minutes west, east of Castle Rock. You don't know where Castle Rock is? <laughs> Hopefully everybody knows where Castle Rock is, just down in your state. Uh, and they're meeting at a museum this morning uh, in, a, in a room there, and um, we're just trusting that God is, is doing something good there and here. Uh, it's not so much that we think that 150 was sort of that magic number where we were too big as a church. We definitely didn't feel that way, but we want to be responsive to what God is doing, and it seemed like he was leading this way. And so good on that path, and so I'm really thankful for all of you who are here today. Um, just as a review, last week, you may remember, we, we talked some about casting nets, and so we really do see this effort as a as casting two nets. We're casting a net here, and trusting that God has people he wants to draw into him, and maybe some of you, even here today, some of those people that God is trying to draw into, into his kingdom. And we're casting a net there at the south location in Franktown. Um, it's really just an opportunity to reach into new communities. Um, I would say just as an encouragement to all of us, as, as Brad mentioned, next week is Easter. Um, and we have uh, got out a bunch of flyers and, and banners, and normally Easter is just one of those times when people come to church. So I encourage each one of you, um, as part of our family, be on the lookout next week for, for new faces who you can welcome and, and just tell them that you're, you're glad they're with us. Um, so that's for next week, Easter. Um, this past week was kind of an intense week for me. Um, I normally do a full-time job here every week, just a lot of it is just church administration kind of stuff, shepherding, so I had all of that this past week, but in addition, we've been preparing to be in two locations, there was a bunch of projects, we were doing graphics and our website and getting signs put together and signs put up. Um, in addition, some of you may have noticed there's some, some revamps that we did here around the space, a bunch of painting and 
Uh, if you've been to the classroom, you see we're in the process there of subdividing our classroom so that we can have all of our Sunday school classes in there. Um, and part of that, we had a mission team here this past week, about 50 students from University of Nebraska, Omaha, University of Nebraska, Lincoln. And they came in and helped with that. You see this room is a little different, cleaner. They did a bunch of cleaning, fixed up our chairs, painted in the hallway, helped with construction, cleaned up our garage, just did a bunch of cleanups. So that was great, but there was a lot of management I had to do with that. We had to take care of housing and meals for them. Uh, we hosted three of the gals in our home as well. I was helping with transportation, had these projects with the building. We got about 12,000 flyers sent out with that team to a bunch of homes near Franktown, a bunch of homes here in this neighborhood. Um, so it was very busy, and then on top of that, I was tasked with uh, preparing a teaching for this morning. So uh, hopefully it hasn't suffered amidst all, amidst all the other things I was doing this week. But And beyond just this Sunday, I'm going to be teaching again next Sunday about the, the confidence we have in Jesus Christ, the confidence of Easter. And then beyond that, just so you can put it on your calendars, we're going to be doing a, a series on the churches of Revelation. It's called First Love, and God's heart for us as it's demonstrated through the churches in Revelation. We're going to go through the seven churches. Um, you will see me probably mostly, but Rich will be coming back, so if you really like Rich, you will get a chance to see him and hear him. Dennis Tan Brad will also be sharing as well. So that's coming up in April and May. Um, so I would just ask that you would... Pray for me. Uh, I've been probably on a rotation of teaching about once every four weeks or so, and now I'm going to be teaching about seven times in the next nine weeks. So I really appreciate your prayers here in the coming weeks as we do this. But above all, I'm just trusting God. Like I said earlier, I'm trusting God that he has a word for each one of you this morning. He has something to share to you, something for me, whether you have been coming to this church for ten years or whether it was the first time you walked in the door. Trust that God has you here for a reason. And I hope you'll be listening to that. So, all that being said, today is Palm Sunday. We mentioned that. Those of you who maybe don't know, hopefully we all know what Palm Sunday is. It is a celebration of when Jesus did his final entry into Jerusalem there, one week before he was crucified. Now, this is an important event, and it's important for a number of reasons, and we'll look at some of those this morning. This event uh, shows up in all four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, not everything that happened in Jesus' life shows up in all four Gospels. But when something does, we must take that as a, a sign that it is something very, very important. So, together, we're going to read one of those accounts this morning. This is from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses uh, 1 to 11. It says this, it says, Now... When they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, that Jesus sent two disciples to them, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord leads them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. 
The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So that's the passage. And now, if you've never read this, this might seem a little weird, right? Maybe if you have read it, it seems a little weird, too. I didn't. He gets on the donkey and rides in his What's the big deal? And people waving branches and taking their coats off and stuff. I don't get it. And it seems a little strange, but there's a ton of significance in this event. There's a ton of significance for each one of us in this event. Now, there's symbolism. Now, anybody who loves to read literature is always looking for symbolism. But this is not an authored symbolism, this isn't manufactured. There's very real symbolism that occurs here. In addition, and I think even more importantly, there's fulfilled prophecy right here in this story. And so because of this symbolism and because of this fulfilled prophecy, there is a power in the Palm Sunday event. And we're going to look at that a little bit today. We're just going to look, take a two, look at two symbols and two fulfilled prophecies, and then we're going to see what our response to them should be. So... First, I want to give you a little bit of context here. Hopefully, you can see this on the screen. This is from Google Earth. This is Jerusalem. And there you can see the, the little, little Google Earth tag is pointing to Bethlehem, which is a, a little town. And then the red line would indicate one probable route that Jesus rode on this donkey. The black sort of rectangle indicates the, the Temple Mount, roughly where uh, the temple in Jerusalem was, sort of in the heart of Jerusalem. So, um, Jesus' path there, as he, he went from east to west, um, he went over the Mount of Olives, he went past right there on the side there, was uh, one of the world's oldest graveyards, he went past, past the Garden of Gethsemane there, which, uh, as those of you who know, that's where he would uh, pray later on in the week and then be arrested. He crossed through the Kidron Valley, and then up the other side there, turned sort of south, and then immediately turned to the west and went in to the Temple Mount. Now, today, for those of you who, maybe some of you have been, I know Tim's been to, you guys have been to Israel, and I've been there, you can walk most of this route yourself. Uh, the one bit that I know that you can't walk would be that last bit where it turns west there. Uh, that gate is actually partially buried uh, by a hillside that is a, a Muslim graveyard, actually, interestingly enough. So I show all this. Say, why are you showing me this map? Well, I always love to have context, and I just love to show that, hey, this is actually a very real place that you can open up your phone and zip over on Google Earth to like <laughs> where it is. So this is a historical event that took place in an actual physical place. So now let's talk about some of these symbols here. First one, kind of obviously, is the palm, right? We call it Palm Sunday. What's up with the palm? Why is the palm significant? Well, we read that passage in Matthew. It didn't actually say palm, but if you look in some of the other Gospels, particularly in John, 
he does mention that those were palm branches. I see some palm branches moving around out here. If you see my kids, they're whacking each other in the face with palm branches. <laughs> Why is the palm significant? Well, in ancient times, in ancient cultures, not just in the Jewish culture, but in ancient cultures, the palm was generally regarded as a signifier of goodness and a signifier of victory. And specifically to the Jews, the palm tree was a symbol for the nation of Israel. We can see evidence of that in Isaiah chapter 9 and Joel chapter 1. Uh, some of you may be familiar with Deborah. She was one of the judges in the Old Testament. She sat under a palm tree and judged the nation of Israel. And actually, even the modern nation of Israel has incorporated the palm tree into some of its official images, like its royal crest, those sort of things. Now, what about waving a, waving a palm branch? What's that about? Well, in our culture, we like to wave things when heroes come home, when somebody important to the nation shows up. What do we like to wave? Flag. The flag, right? Well, they didn't have flags then, but the branches sort of that symbol. So imagine a very important person coming up and you waving the flag. Well, in those days you'd be waving a palm branch. Another interesting fact I, I learned as I was reading about this was that palm trees in those days, and I think maybe even today, did not grow near Jerusalem or Beth Bejit. So I always thought, in my mind, as I've sort of heard the story over and over again, I thought, well, they just sort of, hey, there's a tree, and just kind of cut the branch off and waved it around. But no, they had to go get these palm branches from somewhere. And the, the best guesses that the archaeologist has is they went to Jericho, which is a number of miles away. So they were very intentional about going to get these specific kind of branches to bring them back and wave them. So we'd say that the, the waving of a palm branch was a declaration. What did the symbol mean? It was a declaration that this person was of incredible significance to the nation of Israel. They weren't just grabbing some branches and waving them. This was a very important thing. And so this action of waving the branches was filled with meaning and purpose, both for those who were observing it and for the historical record. Another symbol was they shouted Hosanna. Very enthusiastically, probably like these kids here in the picture. I don't know. Maybe not like that. I just like that picture. But... They shouted this greeting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Well, what does Hosanna mean? If you go to Psalms, chapter 118, verse 25, it says this. It says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And here we find one place in the Bible combined two Hebrew words, Yasha and Anna. Hosanna it comes together, and it means, I beg you to save. Now, a Jew would not have shouted this phrase casually or probably ever because this phrase was really reserved for the Messiah. It was reserved for the one who would come from God to save the people from their sins. Now we see, if you remember in that passage there in Matthew, they referred to Jesus as the son of David. Now if you look elsewhere, we see a genealogy of Jesus. We see that in a few places. And we see that he was actually a descendant of David, but this phraseology that they used, son of David, was really reserved for those who would be the king of Israel, those who would be the one who would be the Messiah. Now, 
in Luke's account of Palm Sunday, we see that the Pharisees, who were sort of the religious leaders of the day, we see them standing up and they say, Jesus, you've got to rebuke the people for saying Hosanna. It's not good. You shouldn't be saying that. Well, why, why were they telling Jesus to do that? It's because they clearly understood, and the people clearly understood, that they were declaring that Jesus was the Messiah. But Jesus did not rebuke the people. If you remember the story, he said, no, if they were quiet, the stones would cry out. He said that the people were right to declare this. The shouting of Hosanna was a declaration that this was the promised Messiah. And so those who say Jesus never declared that he was Messiah, you'll, you'll hear that sometimes. You'll say, oh, Jesus didn't say he was God, he didn't say he was the Messiah. They're wrong on account of this right here, is that he accepted that praise. So see, when we talk about Jesus, a lot of times we're sharing about why we, why we believe in Jesus, what's significant about Jesus, we see that Jesus was God, and we point to five main reasons why Jesus was God. Jesus was God because he claimed it, such as shouting Hosanna. There's other places where he very clearly claimed that he was God. Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus performed miracles. Jesus fulfilled prophecy. People said things about him hundreds of years earlier that came true. We're going to look at that here in a minute. And Jesus rose from the dead. So the resurrection. We will talk about that more next week. Now this Palm Sunday event right here is an example of fulfilled prophecy. And so we're going to look at two examples. The first one is that donkey's foal, right? What's up with the donkey? In Matthew there, there was a quote from a prophecy. It said this fulfilled the prophecy. And then he shared the prophecy. That's from the prophet Zechariah. It's found in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. It says this. It says, Rejoice greatly. O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this was understood even in that day as a prophecy of the Messiah. The Messiah would do this. He would come riding on a donkey. Well, the question I ask is, why a foal of a donkey? Of all things you could ride on, right? Now, most of you know I'm kind of a city guy. I'm not much of a, a farm guy. I have some chickens. I definitely don't have horses or donkeys. I don't think I ever would have that, right? So I'm, I'm no expert on farm animals, but my understanding is that donkeys are a lot better at carrying loads than they are at carrying people. It's probably not the best idea to get onto a donkey. And... If you have a donkey that is unbroken, hasn't been trained, particularly, it's going to be very difficult to ride. And then it says here, not just on a donkey, but on a young donkey, the foal of a donkey. So I imagine that would be almost a miracle in of itself, right? To ride this young, unbroken, small thing without getting thrown off or veering off the path, somewhere veering off into that valley, right? So that's why, but I think what's more important here is that when Jesus did this, it became very, very, very clear that he was the Messiah because nobody would do that, right? If you were king and you were showing up, you're kind of coming into your city, what would you ride on? You 
you probably show up in like your own private 747, right? <laughs> or in a limousine, maybe like the Pope Mobile, right? You'd be inside a glass box, like waiting for people, right? That's what that's probably what I do. Or if you were in those days, you're like, well, I didn't have those things. What would you you'd probably show up on a horse, a bunch of soldiers around you, a bunch of people waving flags, and maybe some prisoners or something like that. <laughs> so when Zachariah wrote this, I think, man, it must have been a really strange prophecy. Like, king's gonna show up on a donkey? That's weird. Right? But what does it say right there? Humble. There was a humility that he was portraying in doing that. I just think it's amazing here as, as far as this prophecy goes. Jesus exactly fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah written several centuries earlier. Nobody would do this. Nobody would show up on a donkey. Nobody could even ride a donkey. He got out and go in and fulfill that prophecy. The second fulfilled prophecy you want to look at this morning is the calendar. This one's pretty cool. I like this. So, in about 600 BC, the Jews were in captivity. They've been taken off to Babylon. And there's a guy named Daniel. You're probably familiar with Daniel. Lion's Den. Right, you kind of know that story. Well, he was a prophet, and he gave the following prophecy about the Messiah. He said, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is coming will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So let me break this down for you. You go to this prophecy and you go, all right. It says weeks, and when you really talk about weeks, you know, it's generally understood that when he's talking about weeks, it means weeks of years. And a week of years would naturally be seven years. Seven is an important number. Um, it's sort of the number of perfection in the Old Testament. And that would be seven years by the Jewish calendar. Not our Julian calendar, by the Jewish calendar, right? That was the calendar they had in those days. So what is this prophecy saying? First, there would be seven weeks of years from some kind of decree to rebuild Jerusalem until Jerusalem was rebuilt, right? Then, there would be 62 weeks of years until the Messiah would come. So, if this prophecy were going to be true, we should be able to look at the calendar and check it, right? Is it going to work? Well, first question, was there, was there a decree issued to rebuild Jerusalem? The answer is yes. There was a Later, Babylon was captured by the, the Medo-Persians. The Jews were still in captivity there. And this new emperor, Artaxerxes, he issued a decree on March 14, 445 B.C. to rebuild Jerusalem. And this date is confirmed in secular non-Jewish records. Not just in the Bible. It's, a, it's confirmed elsewhere. And so, was Jerusalem rebuilt? And if so, when? Well, the book of Nehemiah records the efforts to rebuild the wall in the city. And what I think is really interesting is in that, in that prophecy in Daniel, it says, even in times of distress, and if you read the book of Nehemiah, you'll see it's very much about Jerusalem and its walls being built in a time of distress, where they're even carrying swords with them because they're under attack and under threat. 
during those times of reconstruction. So historians agree, and they've concluded that it was completed, Jerusalem's completed in 396 BC, exactly 49 years after the issuing of the decree, which would be seven weeks of years. Now, what about those 69 weeks? And said seven weeks and 62 weeks, 69 weeks of years from the decree until the Messiah would show up. Well, here's a little math for you. 69 weeks of years, 69 times 7, 483 Jewish years. A Jewish year had 360 days in it, times 483 years is 173,880 days. So, if you had access to books and calendars, you could count those days, and then you could literally go outside Jerusalem and pick a good spot and say, all right, we're going to see him show up today. I mean, it's that clear. It's that simple. It's all right there. You really could go. You could bring your lawn chair, lemonade, and umbrella, and be like, I'm ready for the Messiah. <laughs> and you'd be looking for a guy doing what? Riding on a donkey. Right? <laughs> so does it work? We have to ask the question, does it work? So when you count those days, you start in March 14, 445 B.C., you account for leap years, you count for the difference between the Julian and the Jewish calendars, you arrive at... April 6th, 32 AD. And this is generally agreed upon date by historians that the first Palm Sunday occurred. This was the day Jesus rode in to the temple on a donkey, exactly as was prophesied in 600 BC. Jesus fulfilled the exactness of this prophecy down to the day. No one in history, no one else in history had or will have again the opportunity to fulfill this prophecy. The date has come and gone, and he was there. Jesus is it. He's the only one. And that was a side note. I was thinking about this. I said, why, why wasn't everyone aware of this date? Why wasn't everybody out there in their lawn chairs along the road saying, all right, let's see what's coming? Well, very few people had access to records and writings and calendars. But who did? I think it's very interesting. This ties us back to our Christmas story. The Magi in Persia had access to these records. And as they were reading some 30-something years earlier, they said, the Messiah is coming. We can count those days. We see it's coming. And they saw the star, and they said, I bet that's him. <laughs> and so they followed the star. And so you see the connection? So the symbols and the prophecies all come together and they show us one fact. They show us that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was God's answer to our problem of sin and that problem of sin that has broken our relationship with him. And so I asked myself, what should I take away from this story? Like that's all some neat facts and, and figures and numbers. What should I take away? How should I walk away from Palm Sunday and, and have my life changed? Well, I think there's a, a three things I can think of. First is, I need to take Jesus seriously. I hope each of you would walk away from here taking Jesus seriously. Now, if you come back next week, we're going to talk about the whole picture of God's plan of salvation for us. So I'm not going to touch on it that much. I hope you join us again next week. 
But we need to take Jesus very seriously. If you're here today and you're like, well, I haven't really taken Jesus very seriously. You can. I've said this before. I'd love to just encourage you. If, if you don't know Jesus, to just sort of in the quietness of your heart or in alone time say, you know what? God, maybe you're real, maybe you're not. I don't know about this Jesus, but would you show yourself to me? Would you make it very clear whether this is true or not? And I think he'll meet you in that. I think he'll honor you for taking Jesus very seriously. The second thing, for those of us who have really have already come to have a restored relationship with the creator of the universe through Jesus, I think we need to be reaffirmed. We need to take this message to heart and apply it. Well, what do I mean? Oh, apply it. Oh, that just sounds great. Yeah, just apply it. What's that mean? Well, I think it's sort of a daily, a weekly kind of thing. Um, I'm going to share with you something even that I just applied it this week. Um, a lot of times in the morning, I don't know why, I just like, I get my mind cranked up in the morning. I'll, I'll get on Facebook. I love to see what people are up to, what people are doing. And, um, in the U.S., see what you're up to and what you're doing. So I'm just on you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but I have a number of friends who uh, I, I do not agree with on a lot of issues. And you probably can, can relate to that. Um, and some of these friends are even people who, at one point in time, we did agree on certain things, and now they sort of change their position on things. And they like to be vocal. You can be vocal on Facebook, whatever you would say that verbose about it on Facebook. Um, and it becomes very frustrating to me, right? I get kind of, ah, I don't know if any of you ever do that. I'm kind of like, ah, ah. And I have this reaction where I go, I just want to hit the unfriend button on that person because I don't like what they said. They're being my enemy. They're being rough to me. Um, I disagree with them. How could, they, how could they turn against what I know to be true? Um, but I was really convicted this week because God brought this scripture on that very day when I was just sort of frustrated seeing a couple of these people say some things and I, and I was just kind of down and mad. But in Luke chapter 6, it says this. It says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. And then it goes on later, it says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? But love your enemies and do good to them. And so I was just really convicted. I thought, you know what? I need to take this message and apply it to my life. And I didn't unfriend those people. And I prayed for them. And they're still my friends, even though I I think the third thing we can take away from this is that we can look forward to the final Palm Sunday. What do I mean by the final Palm Sunday? Well, there's a verse, some verses in Revelation, and we're going to be talking in Revelation here in the next couple months. But in chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, it says this. This is John talking, and he's having this vision of what the end of the world is going to be in that transition into eternity into heaven. He says this. He says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues 
standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Sounds a lot like Hosanna, doesn't it? See, none of us had the chance to be there at that first Palm Sunday. I don't think anybody's that old, right? Dennis isn't here this week, so he wasn't there. No, no, no. None of us were there that first Palm Sunday. But those of us who have been restored to God, those of us who know Him personally through the salvation found in Jesus Christ, we're going to get to be there at the last Palm Sunday. And we're going to get to shout, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And the King will be welcomed into His eternal kingdom. And each one of us can be there celebrating the king, celebrating what now we just hope will happen, we know will happen. We aren't going to be begging him to save us because he will have saved us. And we get to spend eternity with him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for what you did on Palm Sunday, that there is such a power in that simple event. God, you didn't just make up symbolism, you put it there as a way to point us to you. You had prophets speak of old, and it came true on a specific day, in a specific year, in a specific way. And it affirmed that Jesus Christ is your Son, sent to save us our sin, sent to restore our broken relationship with you. God, I thank you for that. And I pray that as we go out from here, Lord, that each one of us would take you seriously, that we would seriously consider these events, the claims of Jesus, the path to salvation. I pray that each of us would take your message words that Jesus spoke that are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That we would take those to heart we would apply those. And God, that together we would be able to look forward to that final Palm Sunday where we can welcome you into your kingdom and wave our own palm branches and shout, Hosanna, blessing and honor and glory and power be to you. God, we look forward to that. Thank you, Lord, for meeting with us this morning. I pray you would be working in the life of each person 